0: Shut up and sit down. Ask not what your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. The only thing we have to say is... Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook. Well, I'm not a crook. I did not have sexual relations with that woman? I'm speaking with myself, number one, because I have a very
1: good brain and I've said a lot of things. He said fewer things this week.
2: You know, (laughs) we were talking beforehand that it feels like Trump has been... Been moderating himself a little bit right so there's you know over the course of the summer like every week there were three or four insane things that he was saying yeah. and
1: all it took was two massive hurricanes to shut him up right and I, <laughs> kelly
2: appears to be moderating trump to
0: some degree as well
1: mm-hmm. yeah welcome back, back
0: guys <laughs> <laughs> we just jumped right in didn't we <laughs> right. although this you were talking about moderating although like in the last 24 hours the uh, trump white house has called for the firing of <laughs> of a uh, member of the press for critiquing the president and called for the prosecution of James Comey. So (laughs) moderating is all relative. Baby steps, Barker, baby (laughs) steps.
1: Um, yeah, kind of an odd week. We were talking about that. It's not, uh, not quite as overtly exciting as it has been, but some interesting things going on. Um, we did have the six, 16 years now since nine 11. So that was, uh, uh, a couple days ago, figured we'd talk about that a little bit, go into some other minutiae of politics that are currently going on, and uh, we're going to be in the weeds this week, right? Gonna I mean, gonna we're going to we're going to hunker Strap down. End, <laughs> folks. We better grab a six pack.
2: Phil wants to talk about electoral commissions. We're going to get into uh, <laughs> war power resolutions. I mean, mm-hmm. this is don't turn us
1: off just yet. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it seems like kind of a a redundant thing that uh, that gets brought up every year, but we haven't had the chance to really talk about it ever on this particular podcast. Um, yeah, 9-11 kind of came and went without a ton of fanfare this year. Um, although, I, I don't know. For me, it, it felt somewhat different. Um, I, I feel like I paid a little bit more attention to it than I have, but I don't, <coughs> I don't know what that's about. There was no... Um, Gaffes or anything mm-hmm. from uh, from the administration, um, it's just kind of we've. I, I feel like we've gotten to that point where it's just part of what we do now every year. It'll, be, more, it'll be Pearl Harbor Day soon.
2: Well, right. It's more historical than necessarily emotional. At least yeah. for for some of us who are old enough to remember all of that, that mm-hmm. transition has taken place. Yeah. Uh, you know, for me, it was it was interesting to watch Trump in this role. I mean, it's always always curious to see how he responds to things, but to see him. And there was some conversation this week about it's it's interesting that the United States went towards Trump at this time, 16 years after 9/11. In some ways, you would think Donald Trump might be that knee-jerk reaction right after 9/11 to have mm-hmm. somebody like him who's uh, you know driven by immigration, anti-Islamic uh, sentiments. Uh, but you didn't see that in George W. Bush. You didn't see any of that in Barack Obama. So it's almost like it's a, a delayed 9/11 reaction.
1: Um, kind of. Yeah. I don't necessarily know if. I I I I don't know the best way to put it. Like even as as disparate and and um, uh, oddly structured as Al Qaeda was, and you know the Taliban, it still felt like there was a there was an enemy that we were fighting. Who we kind of knew who they were. You know, now it's more of a and I, I you kind of mentioned this uh, as we were preparing for the episode that it's it's gotten back into that kind of clash of civilizations mentality sure. and, um, and, and focus with, yeah. with this administration. So, yeah, you didn't see much of – well, you saw some of it in the Bush administration, Not definitely none in the Obama administration. And
2: even but. to the Bush administration's credit, I mean, George W. Bush was very clear to say that there's a distinction between terrorism and Islam. I mean, he went out of his way to visit mosques. Uh, so it was it's curious that, that you didn't see a Trump like candidate right away.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's been quite you know quite a distance from 9 eleven that you finally see that. We had terrorists to kill. we didn't have time for that That's true. We were right. We were Americans then We were all Americans sure.
0: yeah. <laughs> Philip. did either of you watch any of the um, the events, the commemorations and whatnot that Trump went to?
1: I did not no. a little bit, yeah, not much. Why did something happen? No, I I mean, I didn't
0: get to see much. I'm curious about how he handled it. I read several uh, accounts in which they talked about how he talked through several moments of silence, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) He has, I mean, he has this, we talked about this in the last couple of weeks with the hurricanes. You know, in the midst of a hurricane, he has an ability to still make it about him in some way and talk about the crowds and whatnot. I I didn't know if either of you had seen how he he handled that sort of ceremonial um, event.
1: Uh, Yeah, I, I assumed some there was going to be some sort of report of a gaffe or some way to make him look stupid and i there was nothing in the news so i'm assuming they literally could not find anything which means that none of it was interesting I don't
2: think he's getting he's getting better at some of this as well right yeah. he's still not going to be great he's not going to be george w bush in the aftermath of 9-11 he's not going to be obama at his best but he is he can play he can bring up some sympathy which i i didn't think he could do at all so he's he's getting better in that role but he's still not great
0: yeah um, so can we can we talk about the the sort of zoom out and talk about the bigger politics of sure. September 11th and um, it has been 16 years since September 11th has happened and therefore it's been almost 16 years that we've been at war in Afghanistan mm-hmm. right yes. um, and a little shorter and well we're not well we're I don't know are we still at war in Iraq <laughs> yeah I would say so yeah we yeah. still have <laughs> troops there right and they're still right. fighting so even if it's not official we still we are we're there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, we've sort of moved on in way, it's weird that we, like you were talking about, we've, it feels like our approach to September 11th is a little different in the sense of how we commemorate it and think about it. And the the wound is not as fresh, right? And yet we're still at war based off of the events of September 11th. And that's a weird kind of juxtaposition to me. And does that, I mean, how does, how do we, as an as a country, how is that possible? How do we continue to operate in this? So, I mean, or maybe we should talk a little bit about how uh, Rand Paul today had this, this, um, uh, was it a bill or an amendment? It was um, an
2: amendment to a bill, right? To the, the War Powers Act, yeah, yeah. correct? From right. 2002. So he was,
0: yeah. that's right. He was trying to, yes, the, the authorization of the use of force um, that went back to 2001 and 2002. He right. was trying to Um, undo that, because all of the stuff that we're doing, not just in Afghanistan and Iraq, but the stuff we're doing in Syria, the stuff we're doing in Yemen, the stuff we're doing essentially all over the world, we're doing um, and claiming that it was all approved through this authorization of the use of military force that came after September 11th, in which Congress gave the president essentially unlimited powers to do what he needed to do to win the war on terror. And so here we are, 16 years later, still fighting the same war that is at the same time, not at all the same war, right? Mm -hmm. It seems to me that Rand Paul kind of, I mean, it seems like he has a point here, right? That we should be rethinking about this. Absolutely. When you think about, it's
2: not just Iraq and Afghanistan, but all of the battles, whether we're talking about Yemen or Libya, everywhere U.S.
1: troops have been sent, we've continued to use that same authorization uh, to justify that. We don't even need the troops anymore until we have drones for When You're talking about <laughs> yeah. Pakistan or the tribal regions or right. Somalia or anywhere else that isn't listed, but we sure as shit know that we're there.
2: Right. And the, the Obama when Obama came in, there was discussion to say that we need to pull this back and there should be a new one, there should be more specific. I mean, in, in theory, every time this happens, there should be an authorization for the use of war and to have something so broad to cover everything and, and relate it back to terrorism. I think is is terribly troubling. So, and it's all if, if you look at the authorization, it's incredibly short too. Mm-hmm, it's right. it's you know a couple sentences.
0: Yeah, it, I mean it's a, it's an authorization that comes out of a very heated moment in our history, right? Like we've just been attacked, and it was sort of a you know go get them sort of you know, do yes. whatever you need to do to protect the country, which you know at the time I understand how that happened, um, but in you know in hindsight it's not the best. <laughs> way for Congress no. to actually use its power to oversee, um, the declaration of war and the use of force. So it seems to me that Rand Paul has a, a point here and he, what he wanted to do, I think his, his, uh, his proposal was that the AUMF, the authorization of the use of military force would end in six months, which would give Congress six months to basically draft a new one, um, more limited, you know, more specific. Um, and yet this thing failed two to one, right? Sixty something to 30 something was the final vote in the Senate. So if the I mean, are we just not seeing it? Like if it's so commonsensical that we should be phasing this back, are we just totally on one side of the spectrum or like why? Why would this not have the support of Congress?
2: If you're a senator, do you want this responsibility? Do you want to have to weigh in time after time for each use of force? Or would you rather have something out there that gives you cover to say Uh, This is on you, Mr. President. You've already got your authorization for whatever you want to do. I mean, to Rand Paul's credit, he's willing to push to say this isn't right. And I I think it's totally wrong. I mean, every time a president is going to use force, he should have to make that justification. And the Congress should have to come through and support it, whether it's, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's I mean, when you think about the the conflict in Syria is very, very different from what was happening in Iraq, which is different from what was happening in Afghanistan and Libya. I think all of these conflicts have all been. Lumped together, it's it's terribly troubling. But I don't think there's the political will to change it.
1: No, and really, do you want to be part of the uh, the congressional class that got rid of? I mean, I'm sure it would be portrayed as getting rid of the means for the executive branch to defend the American people. Like I, I know that we look at it in a different perspective, 15, 16 years later. But you know that's going to come up, especially from the Republicans at this point.
2: Well, I wonder did did the Trump administration trump administration take a position on this
0: that i don't know i don't i didn't see that what was interesting to me is that this this apparently proved to be a pretty bipartisan issue mm-hmm. so it, i mean it was 30 something to 60 something but it was not along party lines there were mm-hmm. um a large number of democrats voted for this you know that they won't, so voting for it meant un, you know reducing the or undoing the aumf um but there were lots of republicans that joined in and there were lots of democrats who voted against it so both sides were really mixed which which is interesting i mean i you know i don't know I, I think in some people's mind the republican party is the party of the military or party of you know us force or whatever but um yeah i mean it makes me think there there are real some real interesting philosophical uh, fault lines that are running that this issue sort of crosses
1: and we'll,
2: and we'll talk about this later in the podcast, but there's division within the Republican Party. And there, just even this week, there was some uh, pushing to say that there needs to be more constraints on Donald Trump, whether it's, we're talking about North Korea. There was an article in The New York Times saying that basically Congress needs to step in and limit the administration's ability to wage nuclear war, that there should be additional checks on this. Uh, so I, I do think there are Republicans and Democrats that are concerned – about the administration and their ability to use this pre- previous authorization to do whatever they want, and what's interesting because that wasn't the case with Obama, right? There, they while there was some griping, there was no real effort to undermine that, at least to my recollection. Mm-hmm.
0: So you you were saying if you're if you're a member of Congress, why would you want this responsibility? Um, I. I s- I sort of get that logic, but that seems like a new logic. In my mind, like in American history, that's this battle between like you, Congress is trying to to wrestle power from the executive and the executive is trying to pull power from the legislature. And so it, it's weird to me to see a branch of government essentially abdicating their responsibility here and basically just saying, because I, is there a political, would there be a political price to pay if you voted? for that, to undo the AUMF. If you're a senator and you say, I think, you know, 15 years, 16 years is long enough. Wh- what's the downside of doing that, of, of saying, let's scale this back and reevaluate what we should be doing in terms of uh, use of force overseas?
2: In the short term, there's probably not a huge penalty. But in the long term, when the next conflict comes up, so let's say they do this, if the Senate says or if the Congress says you were pulling this away, Then when the next issue arises, so now we've got Syria. So then it comes back to all those districts. And I would imagine that can't be very popular if you're, you know, if if you have to vote for an authorization to send more troops to Syria or send them to Yemen or wherever it is, then then you really face the heat
0: that that's the idea though oh, right oh no, no that's right
2: that's right <laughs> that we yes. should, that
0: should before we vote to send people off to war that it should you know there should be a potential price to doing this
2: right <laughs> so it gets to this this divide between what's good for the country and what's good for an individual politician running for office uh so no this is this is frustrating that they're not being more forceful
1: on this uh, yeah I, the i i feel like there's a there's a disconnect between what people feel needs to be done in the name of the security of the United States and the American people and the strategy that was put in place when you're talking about Afghanistan and Iraq that doesn't – it doesn't mesh up with what we're seeing with this particular vote either. Like Clearly, the strategy for both of these conflicts – and, you know, you can talk about Syria or anywhere else that, that we've been involved um, – it, it doesn't work. And I don't know if that's an aspect of yeah, the – nation building and, and that component or, or what else it could, it could really be but there was a time where you had a conflict you destroyed your enemy mm-hmm. and then depending on who that enemy was possibly helped them recover yeah. or they were on their own wars had ends to them
2: right? We're not, that's not the reality more I mean we, we are going to be in Afghanistan for years to come right? And we're probably going to have a token force in Iraq. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see what happens in Syria. But these become much more indefinite conflicts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, that, to your point, Phil, that would seem to demand a much more active Congress to say we're going to weigh in and make hard choices on this. And I don't agree with Rand Paul on most issues. But on this one, I'm in total agreement to say that the Congress needs to get a spine and push back some. So they're not – they're just not, I'm assuming.
0: this. Right. Yeah. I don't I don't think they will. <laughs> right. so. Yeah. And it's important to note that, that – had this gone through, it wouldn't have ended. It's not saying that we can't continue a war in Afghanistan or Iraq. It mm-hmm. just means that Congress has to be more specific in authorizing this stuff. And it, and it would do away with this blanket or this blank check that the president has been using now for 15 years to basically go to war anywhere he feels like it in the name of fighting terrorism. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, I think I think those sorts of that's the, these are the sorts of discussions like you're saying that we just we need to have, but we don't want to have. We as a, we as a people, American people. I mean, I what what percent are there? Have you seen polls? What percentage of Americans do you think realize that we're still at war in Afghanistan? Do you think most realize that or not?
1: I don't think most people remember where Afghanistan is at this point. Yeah, <laughs> right. No, I, I think you're you're right, Phil. I would I don't know what the number is, but it's
2: got to be low. And even if if even if people knew that we had Forces in Afghanistan, they're probably somewhat indifferent to that, right? It's mm-hmm. it's different than having a hundred thousand troops on the ground. It's different than World War One, World War Two, Vietnam, where your neighbors were fighting in these wars. I mean, this is a we've moved to a stage of war where fair where most people are disconnected from that fighting, mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's problematic as well. And it just allows these allows politicians to avoid
1: real I don't know hard decision making. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, it's. <clears throat> I, I mean, it's, it's amazing how much, uh, you know, we started talking about 9-11 with this, with this, um, with this episode. But it's, it's amazing how much every, almost every component of the current political structure is in some way tied to the decisions that were made immediately yeah. after that. And it's scary. It's a paradigm-shaping yeah. event, right? Yeah. It is, and, and we tend to think it was a significant event, but it has shaped
2: so much of our foreign policy. Yeah, I found myself and, thinking this week. Oh, go ahead, Phil. And
0: not just, not just. It's it shaped so much of our everyday lives mm-hmm. as well, right? Yeah. It's not just as shaping the nature of politics or foreign policy, but the way that we live and the way that our cities are structured. In this, like, acceptance of a security apparatus, basically everywhere we go. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's 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 really. Kind of mind-boggling to think back to pre-9-11 and how much has shifted.
1: I heard a story on, I don't remember what it was on, but I think it was the Pittsburgh Airport or Philly Airport. Was, Pittsburgh. Was I, I Pittsburgh? think I saw this. Yeah, yeah I think that, so. It, it's, that um, they were allowing uh, family or friends to go up to the gate to either drop someone off or meet someone coming from yeah. an airplane. And I, I had almost completely forgotten that you that was even that. a thing. Yeah. yeah. It was it's, wonderful.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Phil, I would love to meet you at the gate of an airport. That'd be great. Aww. Aww. sweet, Phil. <laughs> I know we need to wow. move on, but one, thing, one other thing that struck me this week was, you know, thinking about going, you know, 9-11, thinking about Bin Laden and Al-Qaeda, and now we're consumed with ISIS, right? That's the major threat. But do you think, was <clears throat> Donald Trump, would Donald Trump have been Bin Laden's perfect choice for a president Uh, In terms of thinking about a president who is willing to engage, you know, Nick, you were talking about this civilization language, uh, and, you know, both Barack Obama and George W. Bush were very careful about making those distinctions, and Donald Trump isn't and is intentional about that. I do wonder whether the, the election of Trump and the movement back towards this more civilization divide would not have, or maybe in the future continue to feed this in a much more... Ideological, not ideological, civilization divide. I, I just, I, I think Bin Laden would have, was searching for a president like this.
1: Yeah, I, I, I can see that point. Um, I, I don't know. That's such a hard thing to, yeah. to think about. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think anyone is under the illusion that any of these conflicts that we did get into after 9 11 went well. Um, and I don't think any decisions that Trump would have made in that time frame, had he been president, would have necessarily been any better or worse. I mean— I
2: think it might have been worse.
1: How so? Because what ISIS and what al-Qaeda want
2: is a fight on their level, right? They And the United States, to its credit, has yeah. always said we're not reaching—we're not going to make this argument that it's about religion, it's about identity— now Trump is making that argument. He's saying yeah. it is, and, and somebody like Steve Bannon—we'll talk about him later. I mean, he does argue that there is a. This is a civilizational divide that's mm-hmm. playing out here, and I don't know. It's yep. it's a bit uncomfortable shifting in that part, direction.
0: No, you're right. So part of the rhetoric that that Bin Laden and others, other sort of extremists um, of his camp. Uh, made was they essentially argued that there was the civilizational divide that that Muslims would never be welcome in the Western world, right that that they would never be seen as part of the West and that you know they're not welcome and whatnot and that's part of the reason why George Bush and Barack Obama went out of their way not to make those sorts of statements so in in that sense, yes, Trump is sort of fulfilling these predictions or statements or or he's he's um affirming sort of these these statements that that some of these uh, extreme uh, Islamic extremists have have made in the past, so yeah, I mean in it, it, at some level, I think you're right, bill that that bin Laden would have been pleased with a trump presidency, yeah. right? it would
2: have allowed him in terms of the dynamic he wanted to create, so
0: it would have supported or backed up some of
2: his rhetoric, yeah, yeah, well, should we transition to a more happy topic
1: yeah i I guess relatively speaking, sure, <laughs> Donald Trump appears
2: to be bipartisan, phil. <laughs> <laughs> So this last week, so last Wednesday, uh, when we came on the air, we had just learned that Donald Trump had come to this agreement uh, with the Democrats over the uh, short-term spending bill and the debt ceiling issues. Uh, and so he, uh, interestingly, what happened is he was in a meeting. It was a uh, so Mitch McConnell was there, Paul Ryan was there, and then Schumer and I think Pelosi were there. And the assumption was this was a photo op, but that ultimately Trump would agree with. Uh, what the Republicans wanted, which was an 18 month extension of both of these issues, you know, funding the government, pushing the debt ceiling back so that you could uh, make this uh, beyond the midterm election. So this would not hamstring Republicans in their effort. And uh, Steve Mnuchin was making the argument for the 18 months, and Trump looks at him and says, cuts him off and says, nope, I'm going with the Democrats, a three month extension. And apparently in the room there were gasps. Like Paul Ryan was like, <gasps> <gasps> <Ooh. laughs> So. Uh, So this led to much speculation this week that uh, Donald Trump is truly an independent uh, and uh, that we should expect more bipartisan work, that Trump is going to engage with Republicans and Democrats. Uh, Phil, are you uh, are you a believer?
0: No, (laughs) not not at all. So, um, I mean, this is an interesting development, right? Like this is a plan that is not. This compromise that was reached is not good for Republicans. It gives the Democrats mo- leverage moving forward. But, like to give Donald Trump credit, I think in some ways, this is the sort of manifestation of what a lot of people hoped he would be, right? This sort of deal maker. He's not a politician. He's not concerned with playing games. He just wants to get something done. And so he had this opportunity. You know, we had talked last week about how this the September was seemed um, insurmountable for Republicans, all of these things they had to deal with. And in one fell swoop, it's done. Right. That That is, I think, what Trump at his best was like promised to be right. We're going to cut through the red tape. We're just going to get it done. Yeah. So we should give him credit for that. Like there's a pragmatist element to it. But to then turn around and see the New York Times and the Washington Post and everyone else proclaiming Donald Trump as an independent, you know, he's not really a Republican. He's going to hes gonna be bipartisan in ways that – oh, what I, What was it? Washington Post or New York Times declared him as overturning like 200 years of partisan politics right. or whatever. Which is insane. Come on. Like <laughs> yes. how many times do you have to get burned before you quit making those proclamations? We've been declaring that Donald Trump is going to make a shift or big moderate for – a year now, right? And it just doesn't happen. You can't <laughs> right. predict that. Like, it's just nonsense to say that someone who a few weeks ago we were blowing up about because he wouldn't condemn the KKK, who is now we're going to claim he's not really a Republican, right. he's a Democrat, and yes. he's nonpartisan in ways that are reshaping the American political system. Well,
1: they have five-minute attention spans. They, they don't care about any of that shit. <laughs> the most titillating recent development
2: i think we should probably talk about the democrats and some culpability they they bear in terms of their shift here but before we get to that what do we think was motivating trump why why is he doing this was it nick was it just an impulse where he says i think i'm gonna i'm gonna try the democrats this time or is he mad at republicans Is, is he just does he dislike mitch mcconnell and paul ryan so much that chuck schumer a new yorker who's in there and chuck was working the room he's you know he's slapping backs he's being a new yorker You know, what is what is Trump thinking? Why would he make this choice?
1: I I mean, I'm sure there's some element of those childish petty things in there because he is who he is. And and Schumer knows how to play that as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I yeah, I I think uh, Schumer and to some extent Pelosi are are very um, influential, charismatic people when they want to be in the right situations.
2: Who maybe have more in common with Trump. Right. Than McConnell and Paul Ryan, right? I mean, so it may be ideologically—I well, don't know if Trump is ideological—but there's that sense of party. But, but he can get Schumer.
1: Yeah, he—he's—he's uh, he's not an independent. He's—he worries about people and and types of people. And these particular people spoke to him in his language for this particular instance. He's, I like you said, Phil. I think there's a a pragmatic part of this that speaks to him more than dealing with republicans or democrats and this was something to push some sort of potentially positive legislation through which has not happened for the past year or so
2: which is really going to hurt republicans right because now every three months or in three months this comes up again and so this gives democrats leverage phil go ahead
0: i I think when you're i mean this is (laughs) maybe this is good um, but it's going to sound mean. I think that um, with, when you're analyzing Trump's actions, you you can't look more than like three minutes before and three minutes <laughs> after, right? Like that's what he's thinking about. Yeah. And and so to, I think to attribute this as in, in some way, you know, taking a shot at Republicans or, you know, shifting towards Democrats I, is just reading too much into it. I, he's just not thinking about the long-term political game, right? The ways in which, doing this for three months instead of 18 months causes a problem for the Republican position down the road. He doesn't I, I don't know that it's even that he doesn't care. I think it's just he just doesn't think that way. Right. And so he's presented with a situation. Someone says, here's a solution. And he says, let's do it. Right. And I think that's uh, in in some some cases, that's good. In lots of other cases, that's terrible. Okay, that was gonna be my question.
2: Like yeah. this is not not necessarily good. It's It's good for for the Democrats, it it's it short term. It's very useful for them to say, OK, we can continue to hammer this issue every time this this debt ceiling comes up the way that Republicans did for Dem- uh, for Obama, the Obama administration.
0: Mm. Um, I, I, I think there's something refreshing about it in this particular moment, because the damage that's done is not. It, it's it's purely done from like a political stakes sort of standpoint, right? The damage that's done is to like the ability of the Republicans to get what they want in a few years. It's not, it's not actually like a policy damage that that is done. And so it's easy to feel like, oh, it's refreshing just to cut through all the gamesmanship and do it. But if we were talking about real policy implications, then you know it would then then using, you know, playing the game becomes more important, right? Sorry. Because the outcome <laughs> matters in, in real ways.
2: If you're Steve Mnuchin and you are part of the administration and you're pitching 18 months and this is what the administration line is, and in the middle of pitching your own line, the president says, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going three months with the Democrats. That has to be an awkward situation.
1: Or do you just get used to that in the Trump administration? Yeah, I (laughs) I mean, I'm sure at this point they kind of expect something like that to happen at some point in their checkered careers Yeah, this administration. (laughs) But is this – the way I look at it is this is kind of a good – swipe in the face to Republicans to really get their shit together and figure out a better way to legislate, not necessarily being the foil to Democrats. They're going to have to do something different going forward.
2: But this was a good thing, though, right? 18 months, you push it past the midterm elections. This gives you some latitude. Wouldn't this be one that if Trump is going to slap
1: them, slap them on something else? Like you just made your own job harder. I I don't I don't necessarily because I think 18 months down the road, they're going to have the same they're going to have the same issue. Nothing is going to change from a strategic political perspective, and they're going to attempt to break it down on partisan lines. Sure. I, I think it's good that he's giving shorter timetables for these idiots who can't get anything <laughs> done so, in a shorter time span than a year to two years.
0: Sure. So I, I want to say something else nice about Donald Trump. Okay. <laughs> no so States in the in him the him. midst of all of this discussion, it came out that Trump basically was questioning the whole point of the debt ceiling anyway. Yes. And and he is 100% right to do that, right? Like, this is something that he, I, like, when he says that, I, you know, it's easy for me to say, um, absolutely, right? Like, this is, so the fact that we have to, so I, for the listeners who don't necessarily understand the whole debt ceiling, Congress has to approve. And, and me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> So Congress has to continue to approve expansions, so increasing the amount of debt that the government is allowed to take on. Um, this is mostly due to like borrowing and debt that we already have and we're paying interest on and, and whatnot. So for, the,
2: for, for spending that we've already
0: spent already right? done. <laughs> yes. yes. So yes every, other, every other country except for one or two in the world doesn't have this because the assumption is if Congress approves the spending. Then they also approve the debt that comes with it if they're approving it, right? It's like this is like making the decision to run up your credit cards and then having a second decision about whether you're going to pay your credit cards or not, right? Which is what the government is doing. I like that idea. So, so, I mean, I decided no this month. Yes. (laughs) Right, right. Um, which it, it's just that it, when you don't do that with your credit card, they, you know, they they take all they seize all your possessions when the government doesn't do it. The world economy collapses. Right?
1: So. But I said, no, we took a
2: vote. Right. <laughs> I
0: can't keep my plane. <laughs> so, right. so I should say that Trump is I I mean, maybe you disagree, but 100 percent he's right. It's silly that we continue to have these and that we continue to hold basically the world economy hostage. Over it was it was terrible when the Republicans did it. It will be terrible if the Democrats do it. It's just stupid. I,
2: I agree. I think this is one where he's he, again he's right. He's right. He's got this is why he's he seems to be moderating, Nick.
1: I, I hope it's not a like a, a temporary trend. No, no, we got to get back to the
0: outrageousness. <laughs> you only you he has done like he's like lined up with your views on like two things this week. So you're That's like, right. oh, it's moderating. it's <laughs> <He's> okay. <laughs>
2: what do we think of the Democrats and specifically Schumer, who? two weeks ago or three weeks ago, was ripping into Trump for the Charlottesville comments. I mean, just relentlessly saying that he was, you know, basically a white you know, white nationalist, that he was a racist. I mean, Schumer was laying into him, and I think justifiably so. And then the picture this week was through the White House window of Donald Trump and Schumer embracing him, slapping him on the back because they came to this deal, right? And for
1: mm-hmm. me, that that felt icky. Yeah, mm-hmm. they're all snakes. They're... They're, they're
2: bad people. I mean, Schumer's a snake? Yeah. All of them. Or they're, they're lizard th- people. Aren't they lizard,
1: lizard people? Guess. Is that what it is? Yeah. I,
0: I don't have a problem with this. I, I don't – like this is to me different than – when Donald Trump gets the Republican nomination and you are, are – you are, um, I don't know, Paul Ryan or any other top Republican official – and you have chances to basically say this is not what our party stands for and you don't do it that that seems spineless to me that that's problematic if you're the opposition party and there's a you know an idiot or an asshole in power any ex- to the extent that you can get him to do what you want to do something that you see as positive then yeah, why not now if in order to get this if order in order to get Trump on board with this they had to like you know back a statement that says that the KKK is okay with them that would be despicable but okay. I don't see why it's necessarily problematic to get
1: can we check the you know, legislation for that? Just to make sure Congress did there?
2: pass this. Actually, this last couple of days they passed something that Trump will have to sign, specifically calling him, calling out the KKK, white nationalists, the neo Nazis. Right? I mean, it's it's very juvenile. Like say say you don't like the KKK, <laughs> we can't hear you. Well, so, Phil, is is it Machiavellian in that sense? Are the Democrats just saying like we're going to do whatever we can and we'll play nice because this is in our interest?
0: I think I I, I don't see a problem with it. If if because he starts working with them, if they were to cease to call him out on things that he did that were objectionable, that would be problematic to me. But if if he you know, if he says or does stuff that's that the Democrats disagree with and they call him out on it and say it and speak up about it and yet take the opportunities to work with him when it lines up with them. I don't that just seems that seems normal. I mean, that seems okay to me. I don't see as big of an issue with it. Yeah, I get that, but Trump seems like a
2: different politician mm-hmm. where your soul is a little crushed. You know, if your, your integrity. <laughs> if, you're, if, you're, if you're going in attacking him as a bad person who's terrible for the
1: country and should be impeached, but then when he agrees with you, you're like, no, no, no this is great. Let's do the debt limit for three months. Well, right? That's the thing. This is implying that the people who you're speaking about have those souls that you're so invested in. Um, Nancy Pelosi's an angel. Really? <laughs> no, it's... Um, I, 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 Like, you want to think that they're actually interested in those particular topics that we're talking about. They're worried about women's rights and white supremacy and, and um, refugee rights and all of those things. And all the experience that I've had up to this point, talking with several of them, they don't give a shit about any of that. <laughs> they, it's partisan bullshit and pragmatic um, strategic thinking that doesn't have anything to do with the topic at hand, except to figure out how they can get more votes out of that particular voting block. I, I like, I, I'm sorry. Like I'm going to be the asshole that says, no, Phil said There's that first. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, from both sides, and yeah. I'm talking about the Democrats specifically, although sure. they've been more vocal about it <laughs> lately. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't see them as defending a particular position because they have mushy feelings about it or they think it's in the best interests of their constituents. Sure, They are worried about how to push their legislation through and how to get uh, enough votes in whatever election is coming up. So I, I, I so. half agree
0: with you. No, I half agree with you in that I think it, they are, you know, there is like this cynical calculating aspect to it. But I am... I am less cynical about their intentions. Like I, I think they they actually have policies they think will improve the country, and they're they're maybe Machiavellian in that sense, in the sense that they can get victories or they can work the system to get those policies implemented. Um, they're they're gonna do that, and so yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't. Yeah, I just I don't lose a whole lot of sleep over this. <laughs> oh, I think I, don't lose <laughs> sleep over it I think it's. I, Again, I, there, I think you're right, Bill, in that there is there is like a little sort of warning light that flashes, right? Because everyone who gets close to Trump does, you know, it, it does seem to encompass, like engulf them in some way. Oh, he's going to throw them under um, the bus at some point. That's inevitable. Yeah, for sure. For sure. But if they recognize that, I mean, if you know that, if if, you, if you're working, if you're Schumer and you know that Trump will screw you over at some point, but you can get this one mm-hmm. policy issue, why not take this one policy issue?
2: No, that's fair. And again, from this very Machiavellian to say like it's in our interest to do that, uh, you know, interestingly, Schumer wouldn't go outside and do a photo op with Trump outside. Trump said, let's go outside. And Schumer said, no, I won't do that. (laughs) The picture was through the the White House window that they got him, which I I think we'll come back and bite him at some point as well. So Mm. should we uh, chat about some
1: beers? Yeah, probably. All right. That was a hard one. And that was not any more fun than the 9-11 <laughs>
0: discussion. No, but speed oh, it's going is... to get fun. We're getting to Ted Cruz in a minute. Oh, speed okay. round is coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, do you want to start us off? Uh, sure. So I had um, the first beer I had tonight was Bellhaven Brewery Scottish Ale. And I guess it's actually... I'm trying to figure out where this is from. It's actually from Scotland, I guess. Ooh, um, but uh, uh, I really liked it. It was uh I I don't know, somewhere it it was a, I I like ales. This one was, it was, uh, well, the label says rich, nutty, and smooth. That seems appropriate. (laughs) (laughs) It seemed all those things. (laughs) I don't, I don't know all the technical mumbo jumbo on beers. I just know I like that. Mumbo jumbo? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The second beer that I'm drinking is a Hidden Cove Brewing Company out of Wells, Maine. It's Bucko's Hoppy Brown Ale. And I also really like this one. This one's a little darker and a little heavier than the Scottish ale. Um, but it, it, the fact that it's got a little hoppiness to it, it's, it's a nice kind of intersection of the hoppiness and the ale. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan. Good one.
2: I will say before, Nick, you describe your beers, I was up in Wisconsin recently, and I brought back a bunch of Wisconsin beers. And this week, I brought a lot of Green Bay Packer-themed beers back. So, so, Nick, why don't you tell us about your first Green Bay Packer-themed beer? <laughs>
1: <laughs> god i hate you um yeah i had a uh, a johnny blood <clears throat> red ale for the record johnny blood played for the green bay packers uh he's in the hall of fame i can turn your mic off <laughs> that's true that all ability right now. I'll, I'll be quiet <laughs> <laughs> um no it was good i'm a big fan of um red ales in general i think that's the irish in me um it's had a nice uh kind of caramely flavor a little bit of mm, roastiness um yeah, I, I I don't know. Like I've never really had a red ale that I don't like. This one was particularly good, though. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll I'll give it I'll give it four stars. I've had
2: that beer before. Yeah. It really it's a good red. I mean, it is mm. yeah, it's a solid beer.
1: And then the second one that I'm having now is a booyah, um, which is an apricot saison from MKE Brewing up which in Milwaukee. Out of, it's out of Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I, I've been there a time um, or two. Yeah, it's very apricot-y. Um, not overly Saison-y. like it's not super cloudy um, mm-hmm. it's very it's very drinkable
0: Cezanne apricot- a painter I don't know I'm confused <laughs> Suzanne <laughs> <Is
1: it? laughs> no I
2: actually I think apricot is a nice nice flavor for a beer so.
1: yeah it's um like I said it's not overly heavy a little bit of sweetness to it um, very drinkable um, also highly recommend
2: so my first beer was uh, from Ale Asylum, a brewery out of Madison, Wisconsin, one of my favorites. And I had a Velveteen Habit, uh, which is an IPA. Uh, it, is, it was an interesting IPA because it had a lot of malt to it. So it says it has a malt spine, and that really sort of stands out. Uh, so it had a bit of citrus flavor, uh, but also a very kind of rich malty kick to it. Which I liked, but I didn't like as much as uh, their other IPA that I love. The Citra IPA is the Bedlam, which I think is a better beer than this one. But I could see somebody who's interested in maltiness liking this one. Uh, My second beer is uh, from Titletown Brewery, one of my favorite breweries up in Green Bay. And it's a Green 19. It's an IPA. Uh, I like this a lot. This is another Citra IPA, uh, but it's it's very well-balanced, and it it had a little bit of bitterness to it, which I I enjoyed. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is a nice one.
1: Interesting. Uh, Yeah. Uh, You can find all of these beers on uh, our untapped uh, app profile. Um, We put all of those on there along with the ratings that we assign to them. Um, We'll probably put a picture up of them on our Facebook page uh, at Barstool Politics. Um, Also follow us on uh, Twitter at Barstool Paul. Uh, Send us an email with beer suggestions or questions or anything else that you're interested in. Uh, Barstoolpolitics at yahoo.com. Yeah. And uh, I I think that's all of it. That's all of it. Yeah.
2: So we're going to move to speed round right now. And I'm (laughs) going to ask you guys whether I can throw a variable in and and throw a topic at you, which you've not thought about or researched. But one of our Uh... listeners, Mike Nassett, who's a longtime listener, big fan of the podcast, literally just sent me something through Facebook right now about the podcast saying, You guys got to talk about it. I've looked at it, it's brilliant. It doesn't take much research, but I think it might be worth at least a couple minutes of speed round. Are you are you okay?
1: Yeah, we can do a speed round on that.
2: All right. Sure. And yeah. then we'll go to Ted Cruz. So, wait.
0: Uh, yeah. I also have something. On. Is this this isn't Martin Shkreli, is it? No. You, so I just feel like I need to throw this out because I just got an update on my phone that Martin Shkreli is that his name? The the jackass guy who ran <laughs> up all Bro. the yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah who is out on bail on like $5 million bond because of his security fraud stuff. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he put a Facebook post up offering to pay $5,000 to anyone who ripped out a lock of Hillary Clinton's hair while she's <laughs> on her book tour. Oh, that's <laughs> terrible. Which it turns out is enough to get your bail revoked, your bond oh, revoked. Right? So apparently, he's going to jail. Yeah, He can what think about is. what he's
2: done for a while. People are idiots. <laughs> yes, they are. Wow. All right, go ahead. All right, speaking of idiots, Roger Stone. Um, again, this is from Mike Nasset, a story he just sent in. Uh, he says that it's possible the White House chief of staff, John Kelly, is having Trump drugged. Uh, so <laughs> I forgot about that. Roger Stone is, uh, was a close confidant, I think continues to be a close confidant of Donald Trump. And so we have a quote here from, uh, from Roger Stone. Quote, i have heard now i have heard not from one but two different sources that he trump seemed disoriented and slurring his speech in conversation to me this is a tip off that he had been medicated is general kelly above this no (laughs) so go yes is is general kelly above drugging donald trump to keep him moderated
1: I mean, have we really gotten to the point where w- the real news now sounds like it's fucking Alex Jones? Play
2: along, Nick.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, he is not above that. He's also a lizard person, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> the lizard person cabal. Phil, what do you think? And this is actually, I would uh, say
2: this isn't limited Roger Stone. Uh, I think Alex Jones, uh, who we talked about last week, has also suggested
0: that <laughs> Donald Trump is being drugged. So this is what? Two sources. <laughs> Somebody, maybe it was Alex Jones. Somebody said that they had it on good, like on good sources that that this was actually happening. This wasn't just speculation. That they they someone had told them this was happening. Um, is is Kelly above this? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> <answer is> yes. Yes. <laughs> Roger Stone is is, I, I was quickly pulling up his Twitter account because I was going to try to cite some of the other insane stuff he said, but I'll just leave that to listeners. Go look at Roger Stone's Twitter feed, and you can you can deduce how sane that man is by from from that.
2: This is absolute bonkers, right? And, yeah. and people have the right to be crazy and say stupid things, but this is somebody who Donald Trump looks to right. as a source of insight. Somebody who, again, he also could go to jail for some of the Russia stuff as well, but. To come out and, and say that the chief of staff, a man who most everybody says is of great integrity, is drugging the president?
0: Yeah, I mean the, the, this is – we talked about this in the last couple of weeks. But the fact that Alex Jones and Roger Stone and these people, it's not that they say this insane stuff. It's that, that they continue to hold like a prominent place in like – like that it makes news then when they say this, yeah. right? Like they should have been relegated to the fringes of society a long time ago for the insane stuff they say. But instead, it gets people buzzing, and so we pay attention, and it makes news, and yeah, we're we're all—this country's going to hell. Well, yeah, I mean, (laughs) that's
1: the thing. Like you said, they have every right to say these stupid things. We have every right to ignore them. But, like, the fact that this shit keeps coming up— it's in it's ridiculous but for me the contrast
2: between us having a conversation and saying like it feels like trump is learning a little bit right john kelly seems to have a moderating effect he says behavior seems more reasonable he's not tweeting insane things and roger stone comes back well he
1: must be being drugged right because this <laughs> right. isn't hey, this isn't the donald trump you know what, i know man, and love maybe somebody right. got him some xanax and he's just kind of even That's keel true. now maybe it's fine <laughs> who maybe says that being is drugged a, is a bad thing right, in this right, yeah no. I'm a low dose, just kind of you know, even off a little bit. But it, it does Take say something
2: off. when when Alex Jones and Roger Stone are concerned about a more reasonable, you know, right. bipartisan Donald Trump. Right? I, I I agree with you, Phil. That this is a sign that things are not not going well for this country. Side
1: effects are sleepiness and bipartisan-like right. behavior, yeah. <laughs> but but less angry Twitter. Right? <laughs> so I I it. We talk about the media so much on this podcast, and the fact that this gets any sort of traction. Like you said, Phil, we're just going to hell at this point. It's so, but it's I so think, sad. Don't you if, – if Roger Stone says it, you have to cover it. I mean, if Roger Stone was
2: just some guy on the internet, if he's even Alex Jones, that's one thing. But Roger Stone continues to have
0: conversations with Donald Trump. You're right. You're right. It is actually news – to be fair, this this is pretty newsworthy because – he is a longtime friend and advisor of Donald Trump. So, yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of what the anal- what the, what the, you know, what the, I don't know, what the comparable situation for Barack Obama or George Bush would be. But yeah, I mean, it's insane. It shouldn't be getting press coverage. But the fact that he is buds with the president. <laughs> <laughs> it probably is, in fact, newsworthy, I guess. And I, sh- I should correct myself. So
2: I said that Alex Jones has said this, that, that the president is being uh, drugged, and I'm looking more at the article. It, it appears that it was a conversation between Alex Jones and Roger Stone.
0: Shocking.
1: So, so they were, <laughs> wow. They, were, they were, were doing show prep. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I, I, yeah, I— I, I don't even know. I don't, yeah, we, I don't have a good thing
0: to don't say don't, about We it. don't have to finish five minutes on this. Right? I, quickly, on to, I quickly yeah. was glancing at Roger Stone's Twitter feed, and the first thing that I see that I popped up was that someone was commenting on Steve Bannon's 60 Minutes interview, and how six, someone was accusing 60 Minutes of adjusting the color to make Steve Bannon look bad, and Roger Stone's response was, or Steve Bannon was up freebasing all night. So... <laughs>
2: so. There you go. That whole administration just is eating itself alive.
1: It's hilarious. All right. So
2: um, our first real speed round topic was going to be talking about Ted Cruz. And uh, this week, I believe it was... I'm trying to think what day it was. uh, I think it was yesterday morning that the story broke. Okay. So this was late late Monday night. Late Monday night. Uh, There was a... uh, Somebody. (laughs) Somebody from (laughs) either... Either Ted Cruz or somebody close to Ted Cruz liked a post from At Sexual Post, uh, which included a two-minute pornographic film. Yeah. And my favorite part about this story is that At Sexual Post responded by saying,
0: "Uh, thanks for the watch, Ted. (laughs) So... So, well and, and that this, so this was <laughs> this post was liked and then it sat all night like nobody yes. like because it, nobody realized it or whatever and it just sat for the internet community yes. to digest for for hours
2: yes. <laughs> and the internet literally exploded that night um, yeah. and my you know so so the, the the administration not the administration Ted Cruz has come out and said it was a staffing issue. <laughs> <So>. <laughs>
1: Who the who would do that? I'm assuming most well, the of the president is gone. Well, this one, point, of,
2: Ted Cruz could have done this, yeah, right? It's entirely true. possible. It also could
0: be somebody. Ted, <laughs> Ted Cruz absolutely did this. Right? <laughs> like, I mean, I should say absolutely. There's there's a small chance. So, did he get hacked? You know, yes, that's a possibility did a staffer accidentally was a staffer on Ted Cruz's personal Twitter account looking at porn and accidentally liked this maybe but there's a 99% chance that Ted Cruz accidentally liked this post I,
2: I will take that but there also is a long list of people that would love to stick it to Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz For is sure. not well liked. So it's it's possible that it was Ted late at night. It's also possible
1: that it was somebody saying like I hate Ted Cruz and this is a great way to get back at him. <laughs> I mean realistically there's been no indication because there was no post or anything beyond that that would suggest that he got hacked so it was probably something internal mm-hmm. who what's what's why just why besides the fact that you, you maybe you don't like the guy sure but i feel like there would need to be more of a statement beyond you liking a post for it to be... That's the beauty of it. I guess it's kind of brilliant in its simple elegance. Well, it
2: does suggest that, to Phil's point, maybe it was Ted Cruz. Like This is a a (laughs) good video. (laughs) And the other thing is that this is not Ted Cruz's first experience uh, with pornography. Uh, So he was clerking, I believe, for Justice Rehnquist in the Supreme Court, and there was a case coming up about pornography, and it was apparently... And Ted Cruz has talked about this in his book, that in you know, in preparation for this ruling, that uh, Justice Rehnquist and Justice Sandra Day O'Connor, who dated right, this is even creepier, decided that they probably should watch some pornography, oh. yeah, <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> to, to, to ah. see you know before they actually make this ruling. So Ted Cruz talks about that that he was in the room and he brought this up and that uh, Rehnquist and Sandra Day O'Connor watched this video and he says nobody says a word until Sandra Day O'Connor goes. Oh, my.
0: <laughs> so, I
1: cannot think of a more disturbing scenario <laughs> right. than that. This is, this is a great podcast, right? Oh, God.
0: We, you know, it should be pointed out that there's nothing illegal about watching porn. There's nothing illegal about liking porn on Twitter. That's only reason this is like a major duet. It's constitutional, which, right? <laughs> the only thing that makes this an interesting story is that it's Ted Cruz, so, right? Yeah. And he has this long history of in Texas... As solicitor general, general, trying to oppose, or trying to essentially make the sale of sex toys to Texans illegal, and like, you know, this sort of puritanical view on sex that has run through his politics, that then <coughs> makes it too
1: much. Yes,
0: yeah, that makes it especially sort of satisfying when, when something like this
2: happens to him. Do we think this story goes away, or is there going to be need to be some further explanation of It'll this?
0: Be
1: gone. I, I barely hear about it at this point. It'll be gone in two days. I don't know. People hate Ted Cruz. Nah, <laughs> you got to find something better than that. I mean, this is fun and a little bit juicy and titillating. Yeah. but nah, it's not going to stick. I don't think it will stick.
0: But. It it will. So my take on it was that it, it will never go away fully. Yeah. It, it, but it'll never make really much of a difference, right? Yeah. It's the sort of thing that people will drag up and as like an anecdote, haha, laugh at Ted Cruz sort of thing. Right. But I don't. Yeah. I mean, I don't imagine that there are people in. Texas. It's, it goes back to our um, conversation last week about whether or not hurricanes will shift, or maybe it was two weeks ago, shift views in Texas on climate change. Um, you know, we we have <laughs> we have selective brains that that choose the information that lines up with our worldview and ignores and dismisses the stuff that doesn't. So if you're a, if you're a conservative and a Ted Cruz voter in Texas, this isn't going to stop you from voting for him. Right.
2: <laughs> One thing I would add, if Anthony Weiner has taught us anything is that if, if this is Tred, Ted Cruz's behavior, he's likely to do it again. Like
1: they, when you're old <laughs> enough, you,
2: you don't really understand technology. And so it's
1: possible that it would happen again. And then, then he's done. I, I his, uh, <laughs> I always assume there's some sort of massive gas leak in D.C., and everybody has just lost their, their ability to have long-term <laughs> memories, which has no idea how any technology works, and they fall Wait. into the same traps over and over and over yep.
0: again. Can we also, the other thing that's beautiful about this is the fact that this happened on the night of September 11th. Right. right? Yes, it was yes. Also, on top of everything else, it was this image of of Ted Cruz celebrating or commemorating, not celebrating, commemorating September 11th by watching porn on Twitter.
2: <laughs> Think of anything more American than that. <laughs> One final thing on that topic. So the woman who's in the video, apparently, couldn't respond because she was in Florida and her internet was out because of the <laughs> hurricane.
0: This is, this is a, a testament to, I, I tend to not go as far as you, Nick, in your, in your uh, uh, lack of respect towards the media, but I did see that the Miami newspaper, whatever it is, ran a huge story on how this, the porn actress was affected by the hurricane. Uh, and so in that sense, yes, Nick, I agree with you. The media you is all. terrible.
2: This, <laughs> this is the perfect transition to a, a top a speed-around topic on the climate. So uh, our second or third speed-around topic is looking at the Pope. The Pope was very political this week and came out and was uh, directly attacking climate change deniers, suggesting that you know, it, they need to get on board. The science is clear. And if they don't get on, on board and there isn't major change, they will burn them at the stake <laughs> that <laughs> that and that humanity may ultimately go away because of this. Humanity will go down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and it, it caused some ripples throughout the political environment to say, like, is the pope somebody who should be weighing in on this? And um, I, I don't know. And the, I guess the other thing that I think is interesting about the pope doing this is one wonders whether these two hurricanes the pope and other things will that cause a shift in thinking on climate change i mean if you're in florida or you're in texas and this reality yep. has hit you do you say well maybe climate change is is occurring or or are we so ideologically divided that it just continues as status quo i
0: i think so i when we talked about this like 2 weeks ago i was very skeptical that you'd see any real change um, in attitudes after this <sighs> I might want to revise that there there have been a number of politicians in like Republicans in Florida and in Texas who have basically said it's time to address this issue. Right. It's time to to talk about this and how we how we move forward. So I don't think there's going to be a massive quick shift, but I think maybe over the long term, there might be somewhat of a shift back to the pope being <laughs> being political. <laughs> yes. uh, it, it, this wasn't the only example of the Catholic Church being sort of called out or criticized for being political because they also were taking was it the Catholic bishops? What was the what's the organization took a stance on DACA um, and basically criticizing it. Um, and they were lots of people lashed out, basically saying you're you're being political. Steve Bannon being one of them. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And their response was it, there's, it, the, this is not political. This is biblical, right? That the Bible says that you're to welcome the foreigner. And so we're not being political. We're being biblical. So yeah, I mean, this is it's it's interesting to see the Catholic Church. I mean, they've always been sort of political, right? But it's it's
1: yeah, yeah. I, I mean, especially this Pope. I mean, there hasn't really been a moment where he hasn't weighed in on these larger issues since he was installed. Uh, and realistically, whether you're talking about the Pope or bishops or whoever else in the Catholic Church, they still are human beings and they are citizens of these countries. And you know, they they understand trends and whatnot. Given the fact that they represent a religious instit- institution, one of the largest religious <laughs> institutions on the planet, it gets a little bit more complicated. But that doesn't necessarily mean that their opinions are any less important than an average citizen or parishioner or anything like
2: that. That's right. And I think it, this pope in particular has some leeway, right? I mean, this everybody loves this pope. So he's got some political capital. Well, to Republicans w- hate him at this point. <laughs> it's a joke. They, well, some do, right? But I mean, yeah. I, he is so well-loved, even within the United States and globally, mm-hmm. that he has the ability to weigh in, to, to strategically pick a handful of issues to say, I'm going to push hard on this. And, and he, he may create some converts. So yeah. some more conservative political individuals who are Catholic who say, no, this is right. This are you is saying right. he's only
1: doing this for the votes? Is that what you're implying? Do they, do, do they, they do vote for the Pope, right? Well, you know yeah. what I mean. You know. <laughs> he's a pragmatist. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: So I, I, you know, I'm I'm kind of torn on this because my initial reaction is to say, well, of course, like the, you know, theology and, and the Bible tells you, you know, important uh, points that have implications for political outcomes as well. Um, but this is the this is the whole sort of selective thinking thing, because when, you know, Franklin Graham or. Some other like evangelical person, you know, when I go to when I would go to church and which I haven't done in a while, but I used to go quite a bit and the pastor would get up and like launch into some political spiel, it would piss me off. Right. So some because this lines up with my views, I'm like, good for him. Right. But <laughs> I, I wrestle with how do you, how do you draw those lines? Should there be any lines? I, you know, I, I, I suppose there, there shouldn't be. He can say whatever he wants to say, but, um, I, I agree with that, but I think when you're talking about science, it's a different dynamic. So if we're just talking about a
2: political issue where it's a ideological difference, it's a moral issue, right? I mean, it, but when we're talking about climate change, which is basically a scientific fact, I mean, you know, ninety percent of scientists agree that this is taking place. Supposedly,
0: more than ninety percent upper upper ninety, right? Of... Like ninety-nine point five percent.
2: Yes, <laughs> we should get that one scientist who hasn't bo- isn't on board yet and bring him on the podcast because he probably would show up. Huh? You know, when we're talking about science and a connection with humanity, then I think the Pope has the right to do that and to be political, because it's political in a scientific way. He's saying, like, the evidence is overwhelming here. This is something we should do. So I, I don't judge him for that in the way that I, I get what you're saying, that oftentimes religious figures take these political stances that can be, you know, annoying, but this feels different to me.
0: So, Go ahead. So the other aspect of it, I think, is that the fact that we see this as a political statement is reflective of the fact that we are Americans. Because I don't think saying climate change is a problem, we should take care of the earth, is is that divisive of a political statement in other parts of the world, right? Most of the other parts of the world, they're like, yep, Pope's saying that, you know, we shouldn't murder people, right? They're just like on board with it. And it, it's the I think it's partly the context of our political climate that that seems so controversial for him to say that.
1: It's true. Moving on. Oh, I thought you had something. Are we out of oh, time? No. Why, yeah, why of is time. the bell not dinging? It was dinging. You were talking. Did you not hear it?
0: Damn it! I heard it, Nick. Okay,
1: <laughs> the bell's there. Was it coming out of here or there? I feel like it wasn't oh. coming out of here. Whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah,
2: I think listeners heard. All right. Next topic. Um, more North Korea. Lovely. Yeah. So this week the uh, the UN security the UN Security Council uh, passed more rigorous sanctions. Uh, apparently the Ninth such sanctions uh, Since their first test in 2006 Uh, This one put a cap on oil exports Uh, Not a complete ban on oil But they put a cap So most people think it's going to reduce The oil imports into uh, North Korea By about 30% Uh, There is now the ability to search ships That are going into North Korea Uh, The the assets of Kim Jong-un were not frozen So the United States came out this week And called for a complete embargo Of all oil into North Korea to freeze all of uh, Kim Jong-un's assets and it didn't go that far because Russia and China pushed back but it was arguably the most rigorous sanction regime put on North Korea. The question is does this even matter? I mean it's nine right they've been doing this forever. Uh, Is is this any different than the conversation we had last week, the week before, the week before,
1: (laughs) and the week before that? This is the same dance we've been we've been doing for for decades at this point. And we knew it was going to come to this. There were going to be more sanctions and they're gonna ratchet up their military efforts. I, I don't know what else they could do beyond um hydrogen bombing their own country, but um so it's pretty effective. Yeah. Uh I, I, I it's it's a negotiating tactic. And, and this is you know, we put these in place. They either make some sort of concessions or they ratchet up the military and go, All right, we'll back off a little bit and Here's some food and whatever else and some funding oil, and, and oil yeah. and whatnot and then things kind of continue on as they were. I with the recent developments, I don't know how much longer we can necessarily keep doing that. Though. North Korea did threaten greatest pain to the United States this week. I mean, they're always very lyrical and poetic yeah. about the things that they threaten us with. So I don't know. I appreciate that about that. Yeah. Phil, anything different to this this week?
0: I mean I don't I don't see how you I don't see how you really have an option. Right, like it, it, I don't know that it's going to it's not going to bring the regime down. It's not going to change anything, but I think Nick's right. It's it's a negotiating thing, right? You if 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 the North Korean regime is trying to wrestle concessions out of the West or be treated more normally, then you're basically signaling to them that that's, you know, having nuclear expanding nuclear weapons isn't going to accomplish that. So but I, I as we were talking what would happen if we just went in a in the totally opposite direction, right? If we just said to North Korea, "Screw it!" Like, there's there's some aspect to like all these sanctions that it ends up hurting the North Korean people more than it does the North Korean regime. What if we were just like fully embrace them? Screw it! You have nuclear weapons, like welcome. You know, we're gonna open up trade. Like, is there something? Would we be better off going in the direction of engagement, right? Like, so, so this is sort of the approach that we've taken with China over the past. Um, 50 years or whatever, probably not 50, 40 years going back to Nixon. Um, would we be better going in the other direction and like loosening restrictions, engaging, trying to in open trade with them, which might help sort of open them to Western influences and moderate them? Would Would that be more effective? That's very Putonian of you, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, this, so Russia and China, so
2: Putin has been pushing for this to say that what what the United States needs to do is – step back a little bit. And in particular, they're saying, like, reduce the number of troops you have, like, stop all of the military operations you're having. That's intimidating. And most of the media coverage of this is the behavior out of North Korea, which is troubling. But then the United States and South Korea respond with military operations showing that they can invade North Korea and take over. And then North Korea responds. So it it creates this escalation where you do wonder whether if the United States, and maybe we wouldn't even have to go so far to say, you can have your nuclear weapons, but just stop the military operations, stop the sanctions, and would Kim Jong-un moderate in the way that Donald Trump has the last week? <laughs>
1: <laughs> we, gotta, we gotta fly some Xanax <laughs> um, right. I, I mean, I think the fear is that their ultimate goal is the reunification of the peninsula, mm-hmm. right? So... I don't necessarily know if you can take that risk. And I understand the um, uh, economic standpoint of trying to open up trade and whatnot. I don't even know if they would necessarily accept that, uh, especially if it's coming from us or South Korea. Possibly China, but I I don't even think China wants to deal with that at this point. I, would, I Yeah, I, I, I don't know.
0: Would, but would... <sighs> would bringing them into the global market or the the sort of the global system would that undermine the need to reunify the 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 Korean peninsula though right like if you've opened up trade and there's a more free movement of people doesn't that sort of undermine the argument for the reunification of Korea like why do they need to be the same country if you can travel and you can you know buy products across the border and
1: I mean, I, I think that's implying that they're listening to a reasonable, pragmatic argument that they don't that's need true. that anymore, and and Wait. clearly their actions aren't really coming from a I, realistic or pragmatic point of view.
0: Yeah, and I, and I suppose the whole embrace of trade and travel <laughs> ignores the fact that North Korea is an impressive communist government. Also, that
2: <laughs> although I mean to so, to Kim Jong Un's credit, so we've credited Donald Trump and Kim Jong Un this week. He has opened up the economic system slightly more than his father. Right, he has had more economic enterprise, more capitalist elements within that government. It's still very limited, but, you know, there has been some movement. So you do wonder whether you're not going to bring them in the WTO. But if you say you can engage the rest of the world, does North Korea want that? And does that moderate some of their behavior? I I think you're out of options, right? The more that you continue to threaten them, they just build missiles quicker. They test more missiles. So I don't know if that's going to solve the problem.
0: There's only so much trade we can cut off. Right, right,
2: right. right. (laughs) At some point, apparently, they said even if you cut all of their oil off, they would liquefy coal. I didn't you can do think, that? I didn't even think that was an option, right?
0: <laughs> I think you just soak it in water for a while. <laughs>
2: that's right. <laughs> got to run those ICBMs. I'm sure that's great for the environment. <laughs> Coal-powered
1: ICBMs.
2: Nick, do we have time for one or two topics left? Uh, probably one. One, all right. Yeah. Well, maybe – should we should we skip Steve Bannon and talk about voter fraud
1: in New Hampshire, Phil? Oh, Phil, go.
0: Sure. <laughs> that, um. This is not voter fraud in New Hampshire. This is this is voter fraud in the United States. So this is uh, back to Donald Trump's claims after the election that he would have won the popular vote if there hadn't been widespread voter fraud on 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 the part of, of Democrats. So he has put together this commission to investigate the the issue with Chris Kobach. Is that his name? He's
2: from Kansas. That's all I know.
0: Yeah, who has a long history of crazy ideas about m- voter rights and trying to get people off of, of voter rolls. So I guess the—I don't know if this is their first meeting, but they, they adjourned this voting commission um, in New Hampshire this week, and it has been uh, in the news for a couple of reasons. One One, because they are making some crazy claims about voting. So in New Hampshire, they have really— pushed... On, so, so Hillary Clinton won New Hampshire, but by a very thin margin. And their argument has been that there are four or 5,000 people who voted in the New Hampshire election um, illegally. Who they're, college, they're college students. They who had li- out-of-state IDs. <laughs> right, They had out-of-state IDs. Under New Hampshire law, that is legal. College students with out-of-state IDs can vote if they are living in New Hampshire for college purposes. That so can't, that can't be right, Phil. <laughs> the claim that they are voting illegally is just wrong. Um, fake, there's also fake a, news. Re- fake news. <laughs> there's also a report that has come out. Uh, this week about how the makeup of the commission was sort of rigged and that the Heritage Foundation was pushing Trump to keep and other and Kobach and other people to keep Democrats and moderate Republicans off the commission. So they only wanted like hardcore conservative uh, Republicans on this on this commission. Um, I mean, this is all the bigger. The, this is this is the claim the Republicans have been making for a while about voter fraud, which is way overhyped and wrong. But it's being institutionalized and legitimized by the Trump administration, and it's moving forward in a way that is a little concerning. Do you want
1: to start, Nick? No, please, you go ahead. This,
2: <laughs> Phil, this this one is upsetting to me, right? There are some issues I can look at and say that they're funny, but this feels like one. There's there's no real evidence to support voter fraud at a broad scale. Like There's a couple, you know, every year there's a couple incidents, but nothing systemic. But it does feel like this is an issue that you're targeting minorities, you're targeting Democratic voters to say, Let, let's find a way of squeezing the polls so they don't show up. So for me, this is a clear political intent, right? It's, it's very, to go back to Machiavelli, this is more Machiavellian, right? This is strategic, let's Let's tweak the rules to Republican advantage. Uh, and it's, it's so transparent to me, but but it's like going back to climate change. Many people see the other side and feel like this is a, a rampant problem. This is a real deal issue that needs to be addressed. And for me, I just there's not enough data to support that to suggest it's real. Mm-hmm.
0: Do you do you think that Republican voters or, or voters who are sort of for this? Do you think they really believe that voter fraud is happening, or do you think they're in yes. on the joke? Do you I think, think that they, do. they? No, I think they. I, I think it's happening. One hundred percent. that
1: they do. Yes.
2: Yeah. So I don't question them. I, what I go after is those individuals who flame the fires in this to say that there is voter fraud. So so it was interesting that the Trump administration picked New Hampshire because it was a very close race, and Hillary Clinton won. But apparently, if I, mean, if I remember, Michigan was closer, and they didn't pick that state. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for... Because Trump won that state, right? So I mean, there are, there are political implications. This is a big deal in Wisconsin as well, where I'm coming from. But in most of the those that are disenfranchised are poor African Americans, minorities, those who would tend to be you know elderly who tend to vote for Democrats. So I, I don't get why this has so much political traction. This would seem to be something that you know appears at what it is. It's a, it's politically motivated.
1: Well, yeah, I, I mean there doesn't seem to be any real logic to it either like i understand the overall narrative of what they're trying to put together but it just sounds like you're rehashing a problem that's that doesn't exist anymore the right. election is over like yeah. i i i know you want but, it to be this grand systemic conspiracy that there's voter fraud across the country but it doesn't it just doesn't feel like that's that's where their focus is actually being put at
0: this because because they're looking forward, right? Like, right. if they can, if they can put forward some argument that voter fraud exists, and they can make even more stringent requirements on voter. So, New Hampshire has same-day voter registration. You can show up on the day of and register to vote, and you vote a provisional ballot, and they have to approve everything before it counts. They're trying to do away with that. Those, that sort of thing, um, IDs. Uh, requiring IDs, those all benefit Republicans, right? So they're putting forward an argument to to make it more difficult to vote mm-hmm. because that benefits the Republican Party in the long run. Um, that's what scares, that's what's concerning to me, right? I mean, it, it's, it's smart from a tactical political standpoint, but it's incredibly, really terribly cynical, right? <laughs>
2: like, and anti-democratic, right? And the idea yes. is that In a democracy, you want everybody to have the right to express themselves. Whether you know, and and that just seems like that should be a standard rule. And we should, you know, the ID thing seems really, really troubling for me. Right? I mean, if I I understand, if there was a a, an issue where there were a lot of people voting multiple times, you know, like going way back to Chicago, but that's not the case anymore. Mm, Uh, Yeah, it feels like we have those checks in place. I,
1: yeah, I I don't necessarily disagree with that. I do think that there's something to be said for some method of standardization of voting principles and laws across the country because we continually have this problem. I I don't... That doesn't necessarily mean... I, I don't want it to favor one party over the other, obviously, but it's this patchwork and mishmash of shit that we deal with every single election. And if there's one thing that there should be a standardized measure for, it's the ability to... Correctly register for and have the right to vote properly. Why do you hate states' rights, Nick? <laughs> you know, man, it I'm is just a, tired of it. Let's it just break an, them down.
0: It is another example of a political, of an aspect of a political system that made sense 250 years ago right. that doesn't make sense anymore. But we are so wedded to these like founding notions. Yeah of of governance that it it, yeah it's it's a little bizarre
2: no i agree with you nick i think that it should be standardized it should be a federal government carrying this out and each state shouldn't have their i mean i don't know there should be standard rules that would make sense to me to have standard rules in terms of how states can handle this and it shouldn't be up to them and it would i don't know but but that's just not the reality it's not
0: if we had a central voting system that, like the U.S. government used in all fifty states, that would make it much easier for the Russians to hack the elections
1: <laughs> sure. Sure. Well That's They right. already seem pretty effective at that, anyway. Well,
2: that <laughs> was one of the issues, you know, prior to the election. This was the whole James Comey to bring that back in. There was, there was, there was concern in the Obama administration that this is what was going to happen, and that the Obama administration said we need to have standardized, and and the states across the board said no. The federal government is not going to intervene and tell us how to run elections.
0: Uh-huh. The, the difference in in attention and resources being put towards voter fraud, which it's been shown rarely, if ever, it does happen, but in very minor ways, versus Russian interference in the election, which has been clearly shown to have right, happened. Right. The difference in like effort and focus is like staggering. Just you know, Russia actually happened and we're ignoring that. that. Yeah. Voter fraud. If it happens, barely happens, and we're putting so much, re- so many resources, so much time, money into that. Mm-hmm. The end. The <laughs> end.
1: Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah I-, I think we're good. We're uh, we're at about time right That's now. That's good. Um, any final thoughts? Why would
2: just say to listeners who've made it this far, uh, you know, please go on and review us on iTunes. We've had some you know good reviews recently, and that really helps us. If you hop on there and. Uh, you know review us and offer some comments we love to hear that so please continue to do so
1: yeah um yeah reviews and comments on itunes um like we had mentioned previously uh you can find us on facebook twitter uh untapped uh and then again send us beer suggestions or questions or comments uh or anything related to the podcast or politics in general um to our email address uh at at um barstoolpolitics at yahoo.com um Anything else guys? No. Phil? Nope. Cheers. Ooh. Thanks. Cheers
0: guys. Yeah, a lot of fun. See you next week. Bye.